Filipino food, it's, it's a peasant type of food. It's basically some sort of meat in a salty stew, salty garlic stew with rice. And you put those things together. Uh, and Filipino food is already fusion. It's a mixture of Chinese and um, their indigenous cultures and Spanish cultures. And uh, there's even like a bit of Portuguese thrown in there. Filipino food, Filipinos themselves are fusion. And having those flavors, being able to play with those flavors, I really got to learn more about uh, not only the tastes, but also like the heart. It, it, this only makes sense. The reason why the food is so simple to make is because Filipinos work so hard in the Philippines. They have to make food quickly, and it has to last. Pan author, playwright, and food blogger Primrose Medeag Mason answer 100 questions in 5 minutes to win the Manitoba money shot. This plus Harvey versus Georgie on this episode called Primrose Medeag Mason shoots on Western. And what's this guy doing up here in Manitoba? Manitoba. Manitoba Money Shot Podcast with me, Ronald George Moore. This Thursday at 9 o'clock, a new reality program where the two original founders of Robin's Donuts compete against each other. From the people that brought you Kenny versus Spenny, it's Harvey versus Georgie. I'm Harvey Cardwell. And I'm George Spicer. And, and we, we opened, opened up, up the very first Robin's, Robin's Donuts, Donuts in 1975. And now I'm going to kick his ass every week. Harvey, I don't think you can say ass on TV. Well, oops, my bad. Come on over here and shake my hand. Oh, that's more like yes, it. Look up, Harvey! Oh, oh, what are you doing? Oh. You dumb shit. Tune in each week to watch two old men try to best each other in generally simple tasks. On today's episode of Harvey vs. Georgie, we're going to see which one of us can drink the most delicious Robin's Donuts coffee in one hour. Mm-mm. Plus, I'm going to beat the crap out of old Georgie boy. We'll begin at the sound of the bell and then... What did you say, Harvey? Huzzah! Die, you old maggot! Harvey, what you... Oh, God! Oh, uh, uh. oh, my... Harvey! No, oh, that is good coffee. Mm. Each week, a new challenge and a new beating. Okay, on uh, today's episode of Harvey vs. Georgie, we're going to see who can eat the most deliciously dry donuts, but they don't see any... Don't wear the donuts! Oh, I got your donuts, your old coat, right? I don't know where. Eat them! Eat them! Munch them down! I've wanted to do this for years! And a couple of punches for good luck! <laughs> Tune in each week to see if Georgie gets out of his contract. I'm done! He's, he's crazy! He's absolutely crazy! I don't want to do this anymore! On today's episode of Harvey vs. Georgie, we're gonna find out who can take the longest nap. Ah, bullshit, Harvey! You're insane! Someone get me a lawyer! No, George, I'm sorry. I'm just too tired to... Yeah, right. ...even compete. Is he sleeping? All right, I'm in. Hit the bell! Sweet dreams, bitch. Ah! Jesus! Oh, my God! Ah! Oh, Harvey! You son of a... Ah! Remember to tune in this Thursday at 9. Harvey versus Georgie. This program is not associated with Robin's Donuts or Chairman's Brand Corporation whatsoever. Hello and welcome to the Manitoba Money Shop Podcast. My name is Ron George Moore. And that clip at the beginning of the show was Primrose Medeg Nason at her book launch for Lessons in Fusion, her new book, which is available at McNally Robinson, Indigo, Amazon as a paperback or an ebook. You can check out her Instagram at PrimroseMK or her and her food blog, Peg on a Plate. Her new book is a bestseller. She's a Winnipeg Fringe Festival veteran. So much fun to talk to. Great show. Bye. <laughs> Ah, this is my opening. I clap and I say yeah and I say we're rolling. How you doing? We're okay. here. Yeah. Primrose. Hello. Nazan. Correct. I think I got it. Yes. Yay. <laughs> At the start of every show, uh, I like to find, go right back to the beginning, right back to your roots of where were you born? Were you born in Manitoba? I was born in Manitoba in Winnipeg. Nice. And I always like the, the follow-up question, of course, is which hospital? Women's hospital. Women's hospital, nice. My husband was born there. My children were born there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what part of the city were you living in? 
um, Weston at the time. The West End. So quite close, like five minutes away from there. Weston, O-N. Uh, and now I'm in West in the West End. You're currently in the West End of the city. Correct. But, you were but on the other end, closer to Portage. Oh, okay, okay. But when you're growing up, you were living in Weston. Weston. Yes. And that's like... Close that's, to Notre Dame. Right, close to Notre Dame. Uh, Dublin. Close to Notre Dame in Dublin. Area. Yeah, very close to there. So how long were you uh, in that area? Like... Uh, Throughout your whole uh, adolescence, yes, all through my adolescence, um, I'm you know I'm since I'm Filipina, uh, Filipinex, I lived at home uh, forever, of course, uh, until I was engaged. <laughs> so I was there till I was in my late twenties. Oh, wild, wild! So yeah, rich history with you in, in that yeah. area. What's it like growing up there? Um. Well, I, when I grew up there, it was kind of like my little pocket of, uh, like, I knew that we weren't, like, higher income, but when you were little, you just didn't know the difference. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, there's a, it's bordered by a lot of industrial, uh, like, like it, 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 by an industrial area, just along Kuwaitan and Dublin uh, and Empress, and yeah. then it goes all the way until Logan, Um such a Winnipegger to define everything by their streets. <laughs> so, but it's basically this the area between Notre Dame and Logan yeah. up until West Street. Right. And I, I, it wasn't, you, you would think that with a lower income area, there'd be more immigrants, but there weren't a lot of Filipinos in, in the area. I would say in my class, there, there was four, five, a lot of indigenous kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and as as I stayed in the school, there was always like a few Filipino kids. But when you go to like it wasn't like going growing up the Maples or anything where where half the class is Filipino. Right. And um so but I didn't know much different. Uh so I grew with I grew up with kids who really loved heavy metal. And <laughs> I, I I loved that too growing up. I loved rock and, and I, I didn't know much about rap or uh or R&B until I got to high school. Because right. I was, I went to Cecil Road School, and Cecil Road School goes from nursery all the way up until grade nine. Oh, wow. So I had gone to the same school with the same kids for 10 years. Really? And cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. You don't have to worry about, you know, people leaving, you know, your, your friends taking off to other cities and whatnot. Well, I guess there is that. Well, that still has happened. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. But uh, yeah, it, when kids would leave, you know, they were dead to because there was no internet then. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like, so, oh, you're leaving. We're never going to talk to each other again. <laughs> let's talk about those years, uh, kindergarten, grade nine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you, you say uh, you kind of found a passion for heavy metal music. Was that influence from these, the, your schoolmates or do you have brothers and sisters or was... was no, nope, I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. I'm the oldest. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess not. I look back now, and when I was a kid, I thought it was heavy metal. And now that I'm older, I know that it's just rock. But when you're in elementary, you're told that, you know, Poison, you know, and uh, Bon Jovi, that's all metal. And I grew up now, I'm like, oh, that's not metal at all. <laughs> right. And you actually, you, you, you live in a great town for that because all these acts would come, I imagine. You've seen a, a lot of your uh, favorite bands. I was too young to go to concerts then. Right. I was only 13 and my parents didn't let me go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I just meant as you got older, did you ever see oh, yeah. Bon Jovi? My very first concert was in grade eight and that was in excess. Oh, good one. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Huge. Yeah. And oh God, I loved in excess. <laughs> and were, were your parents an influence <clears throat> musically? Were they, what did they listen to? Did my parent, my mom. Okay. Here's the story. My mom. Uh, she was a huge Elvis fan. Oh, yeah. Huge Elvis fan. And she was going to name me Priscilla after Priscilla Presley. Whoa, nice. And my, yeah, my dad said, no, no, no. <laughs> and picked the name above it in the baby book. Primrose. Really? Yeah, I, they still have the baby book somewhere. And it had Priscilla is circled. And I can and I can see how my dad liked it because it was right above, and primrose in Latin means first rose. 
or it, the okay. prim part. Right. And uh, my dad had four brothers. Okay. So he was excited to have a girl, the first rose. Nice. Oh, that's really clever. I like that. Wonder what the name below Priscilla is. Oh, God, I don't know. I didn't even think of that. Did you enjoy school at the time? I loved school. I was a nerd. I was like, always had my face buried in a book or I was writing. You're a big reader. So the writing roots go right when you were a kid. Oh, yeah. I, I loved writing stories, like especially stories, because um, there was there was these like like fake leather bound books that they used to sell at Wilson's, you know, the stationery store. No, I don't. And no, I would... They were like about this big, like mm. a notebook. Oh, it's a podcast. Yes. You can't tell. <laughs> about half, about like say a third of a size of a loose, loose piece of paper. What I would do is that I would, I would always buy them or my parents would buy them for me since about 10 years old. And I'd carry around a notebook. And whenever we, my parents, they love to go, um, what's the English word? They, they like to like visit a lot, to visit their friends. The Filipino word is pashal or that might be an Ilocano word. I'm not sure, but um, Pashal basically means like just, just visiting people. And they always had like a party each weekend. It just seemed to go on and on. And <laughs> they'd often drag me and my brother along. So I would either bring a book to read um, or I would bring a notebook to write in because, and it would be that little leather book mm -hmm. because it was hardcover. It wasn't floppy or anything. I'd carry that around with me and, Sometimes I'd tape like a pencil to the front yeah. and if I couldn't carry it around with me. And uh, I found that whenever you would be somewhere and reading, people would interrupt you. But if you're writing, they wouldn't. Oh, okay. So I just write stories, just random stories. What kind of stories? Great, uh, a lot of short stories. I tr don't remember a lot of them. I did a lot of bad poetry. Um, oh, yes. By grade seven, I actually wrote my first novel in quotes. Wow, no um, way. Yeah, I, I wrote a novel in grade seven and wrote, started it off in my leather round notebook. And my parents got me a typewriter. Uh, this was my birthday present in, in grade seven. I got like uh, a Smith & Wesson electric typewriter and right. it actually saved. So it was like a word processor. And it would save stuff. Mm -hmm. And what I would, then it was like, I can't remember, it was like discs or something, not like a floppy. Because this is, we didn't have a computer. We had like a, a VIC 20 that didn't do anything. Yeah, I remember and, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what I do is that I would, I saved this story because uh, I'd write it in my notebook, I'd retype it out, and I actually printed it out a few copies and I would look at the paperbacks I was reading and grade seven, I was like reading like the against Taffy Sinclair club. I was reading sweet Valley high and yeah. I would look at the inside of the cover and I'd say, Oh, that's a publishing company. And I just mail it off. Get the hell out of here. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it didn't go anywhere. I had one company, like I had like form letters. I had two form letters basically said, we'll look at it. Mm -hmm. um, I had one letter that says, we don't do that. We just print. We don't publish. And like, I didn't know the difference. Now I know what the difference is. Right. Um, couldn't Google and, that at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't Google anything at the time. No. My dad got me like this really thick book about how to publish a manuscript. And I didn't understand any of it. It just, it was like a writer's guide of how to publish a manuscript. And it was mostly about formatting and it didn't, and then and, and like tone of pitch letters that I didn't understand it, what any of that meant. Right, right. Uh, and what was the name of so, the short story that you were peddling around here? Oh my God. I know, that's, that's a, a question. I don't remember the name of the story. This is terrible. I should know it. But the main character's name was Sarah. I know that. Oh, you you like that Which name? The same name, yeah. I really, I really did love that name, and I used it for a lot of my stories. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I loved reading writing short stories. I loved. I wrote that novel. I look back now. I know it was terrible. Um, <laughs> it, it was just terrible about this girl, and she was sad, and she liked the boy, and he didn't like her, and oh my god! Wait, well, <laughs> a happy no. ending, maybe. Maybe by the end, you know. 
Be it was a sad ending because I was a depressed teenager. <laughs> you were a depressed teenager, really? I was a I was a depressed teenager. Yeah. Well, what, what was was it? Uh... I felt my parents didn't pay enough attention to me. They were working all the time. I, I look back now. It's a. Uh, it's because the in the Filipino culture, the work ethic is so important. Right. Uh, my dad was working two jobs. My mom was working at home, but she sewed. Um, I didn't think she understood me. You know, I'm going to go further back. One of the reasons why I don't think my parent, my, me and my parents had a disconnect since I was little. Right. Um, was that when I first got to uh, nursery, because um, I was in division, uh, Winnipeg division, it was called Winnipeg one at the time. Uh, they started at um, nursery, which was like pre-kindergarten, like preschool. Right, nursery. Um, uh, I only find out now that I have my own kid. I only found out later that, that not every school has that. Um, it, it's pretty unique to Winnipeg Division to start kids that young. So I started school uh, 1974 mm -hmm. um, in January. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand. I didn't really talk. And then my teachers figured figured out what the problem was. They called in my parents and they said, um, so it appears that uh, your daughter, your daughter Primrose doesn't really know English. Hmm. She can count because numbers are the same in both languages. She can count, but she's not really speaking to any other kids. She doesn't right. seem to understand what's going on. Um, so you're going to have to teach her English. Now, in 1974, they didn't, um, they didn't have, uh, uh, they they didn't actually have uh, uh, ESL yet. It's now called something else. It's called now called English as another language, but right, like then it was called ESL. The onus was on the parents. Right. So they met this kid who doesn't. They know there's this kid here who doesn't understand English, and they basically told my parents, "You're gonna have to stop speaking to her in Filipino. Only speak to her in English." Uh, get a television, have her watch a lot of English TV, mm -hmm. uh, read to her English books. That'll help you learn English too. Um, wow. And so they stopped speaking to me and my brother. I have a brother who's a year and a half younger. They stopped speaking to us in, in Ilocano at the time, uh, which is one of the dialects. Right, and the other one is, uh, oh God, it's- uh, uh, Tagalog. About, sorry. Well, there's like, you know, there's like a couple hundred dialects, but those are the most too common. Right. And I'd say within two years, the, the Ilocano was gone completely. Wow. And by then, um, I no longer wanted to eat Filipino food. I only wanted to uh, eat what my friends were eating. So yeah. I, I liked... Um, uh, I wanted I, I wanted to eat fries. My favorite thing was dollar chips and and fish, fish sticks. You don't oh, like that crappy. Oh my god! I don't need any more of those? I my my mom gave me those weekly. Yeah. Those are I I can't eat them now either. But I'm a food snob now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I I didn't want to bring rice to school anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I was uh, just embarrassed by all of it. I. Uh, I wanted sandwiches, yeah. but my parents didn't really know how to, like, they would buy, like, my parents, we grew up, I, I know now that we, I wouldn't say the word poor, but my parents, because my parents did have money, but what they did is they saved it. Like, right. they say, they scrimped and saved all of it, and I didn't know that when I was a kid. I just thought that parents were never around. They were always working. Right, always working, never have yeah. money. Yeah, we just never had money, and I remember uh you know the saying make ends meet yeah i didn't know what i thought it was m-e-a-t because my parents would go to the store and meet like when you get deli meat the ends would always be on sale oh yeah yeah and the so, <laughs> yeah like, like the end of the bologna that had like the nub to it mm -hmm. and that's what they would make sandwiches with so it'd be like this thick piece of meat with like a skin on it, pretty <laughs> yeah. difficult to eat. Uh, I would, uh, my parents, they, we, we ate a lot of spam or at that time, click. Click, click yes. Is the brand. Like my parents are Irish. We ate click and fish sticks. This is, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, the only reason my parents got that stuff is because I wouldn't eat Filipino food. I wouldn't eat what they were eating. Right, right. So like, well, get this. This is cheap. We'll make this. And that's what I grew up on. So so would you would you say you put on a facade like when you're like at school or say like uh, with with schoolmates or whatever, you were just not happy? Were you able yeah, to- I was I was sad. Like I remember in grade five just being sad all the time sad because like I was a uh, I was uh, overweight I look back now and that wasn't overweight um I had an eating disorder by the time I was in high school um I was upset because like kids were dating by the time by grade six and I felt I was behind um I thought that well I was I I, I wasn't skinny uh I was dark uh I I didn't uh, I, I didn't fit in um I wasn't popular. And the problems with grade, going to school with the same kids from uh, nursery till grade nine is that the cliques are formed in when you're four years old. Yeah. And those cliques remained. Yeah. And the, it, the same popular kids were the same kids all the way till grade nine. You're and right. they remember the things you did when you were five years old. And it was held against you. When yeah. you in high school, did you did did everything change? You had a it was like a fresh start. New it kid. really was a fresh start because I got a new brand new group of friends. Um, now the problem is is that so by grade eleven, I basically ate a lot less food. Mm-hmm. I lost a whole bunch of weight, and all I got was compliments of how gorgeous I was. Um, and how thin I was, uh, but I still had braces, so it was still kind of messed up. And I was very had very bad acne, so still messed up in the face, but but pretty cute from neck down. Right. Um, I was getting attention, but because I had hit puberty and I had like a like I was never skinny, but I had a fairly hourglass figure, so it was a, a very sex. And I like to dress very sexy. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> I wore like, you know, like Daisy Duke jeans uh, with like, like, like jean shorts. And uh, at the time, it was a real style to wear like black tights under, uh, under like shorts or under a short dress. Yeah. So yeah. I would do that a lot. Nice. Um, I loved it, like wearing like the, like a lacy black bra and uh, to wear a shirt where you could see it, you know? Yeah. So I dressed slutty in high school, yet no one would go out with me still. <laughs> that was the goal. That was the end game. Uh, yeah, I, well, I did have, I did have relationships, but they were not healthy ones. At mm-hmm. all. Were you still enjoying the schoolwork? Were you still getting good grades? Yeah, I was still getting great grades. Um, you know, because I wasn't dating anyone. <laughs> but I had and you're free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I had great friends and I was going out a lot. Um, by the time I was like in high school, I was like going out all the time. Like we hung out at you know, what kind of places uh, were you going to? Sorry, I cut you off there, but what, what kind of places, what kind of destinations were you and your friends visiting? Was it outside your area? Were you were you keeping it local? Well, by the time I was in grade 10, I realized there's more than just the just Weston and the West End. Mm-hmm. And I had a, and by the time I was in high school, I had friends that could drive. Yes. We hung out at Perkins forever. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. Well, I worked like, at Perkins. Perkins. I remember. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Free unlimited coffee for the for yes. the uh the teenagers that would come for six hours. <laughs> well, I remember. Yes. That. We were the ones that would have iced tea and we would sit there from from like nine o'clock till 2 a.m. and just order a plate of fries. They must have hated us so much. Well, I don't know. Hate's a strong word, but <laughs> well, we learned that the limit after nine pitchers of iced tea, they pretty much ask you to get out. Yeah. <laughs> so this is in high school. We were hanging out at Perkins. We went to a lot of uh, sweet 16s and debuts. So that was big in in high school. There would be somebody who, a debut, if you don't know, is a Filipina, a, a Filipino tradition where you uh, 
it's like a debutante ball for uh for filipinos uh that's a party that happens for 18 year olds 18 year old girls for boys it's usually at 21 but i almost never saw one for a boy i'd only attended ones for i think i only attended two for boys right and what had happened was that we would we would just crash them because we you know we're, we're i was in my group of friends like i had a core group of friends it was mostly filipino yeah and we would and we blend in so easily so we knew after 10 o'clock you could just go to any debut you wanted sometimes we just show up to ones but yeah we we love to dance because we didn't go to these we, we didn't go to debuts to drink or anything uh we would just go to dance right. and it would just be it'd be crowded and it would be like a big scene but because i went to daniel mac for for high school and huge huge filipino population Right. So there was always somebody having a debut or a Sweet Sixteen party. Well, that sounds like fun. At least you got some. You whooped it up on the weekends a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. Um, and you're continuously writing throughout your high school years as well. Yes, yes. I um, kept writing. I loved writing short stories. Loved writing poetry. Was your first play performed at the Fringe? Like, when did you get into writing uh, plays as opposed to short stories? Uh. I, how did I start that? Uh, got into uni- when I was in university, and I did take first year theater, and I enjoyed it. But uh, I went to the U of M, and it was black hole. The last day, when I graduated, I graduated with a sociology and psychology degree. I um, I saw a poster for Rivers Edge Theater Company, and they were looking for actors who had diverse backgrounds, like especially people of color. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with black holes, like the reason I, I'm jumping around, I didn't stay with it. I, I, I was asked, like the professor actually asked me, are you going to go, are you going to take second year? Uh, I think you do well. And I said, but I'm never going to get the hours because then you're demanding more hours. I will never get a role. And I knew I would never get a role. Why did you think um, There were no characters of color. The only person of color that I saw getting a role was a person playing a maid. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody else on stage was white. I knew I, all the plays were geared towards people who were act, stories of characters that were white. And I understood that if you have a family, at the time I understood if you had a family, if one person's white, then we'll all of them have to be white. Yeah, okay. Uh, I knew I would never get these roles. So I just became very... You know, I, I just didn't, I wasn't interested anymore in trying to like fight for these roles. And they said, well, you can always get yeah. like background hours. And at the time, you need a minimum of 20 hours to pass the course. Okay. Uh, I was only lucky because one of the, one of the uh, third year students was doing like uh, doing a play for their, uh, for their project. And they needed, they needed other characters. And they, and I was, uh, I volunteered and we all had to be Irish widows and we all wore veils anyways. And I, and I had one line, I said, Oh, Lordy, Lordy, I can't believe that he died. That's good I Irish accent. accent. <laughs> I know it's a good Irish accent. I can do accents. That's awesome. <laughs> it's on my actor's resume, but <laughs> not that it'll help you, you know, when you're Filipino and large, you know? Uh, so I, uh, so I got really, uh, really down about theater, yeah. and I thought, okay, I'll get a, I'll get a degree, and I got my arts degree, and I saw this poster for Rivers Edge Theater Company, and they were doing The Tempest, and they wanted diverse cast, and I auditioned, and I did the Shylock monologue, and they stood up and applauded. Nice. I got like a, a like second lead. I played Ariel. But what they did with Ariel and the entire cast it was completely colorblind casting. I'd never seen this before. Right. But I played Ariel and there was four, uh, they had four people play Ariel and they did it as the four elements. Mm-hmm. So earth, fire, water, uh, air. And I was earth. And there was the four of us. We, we had to say all, all lines at the same time. And it was an incredible experience. And I fell in love with theater all over again. That's awesome. And yeah, three years, three or four years later, we still want to create stuff and we still want to do stuff. And so we loved it so much. 
you kept with the same theater company year for year. Yeah, I st- I kept with them, and uh, we created our own um, like a like a little group, and we wanted to like create write stuff and just create stuff and collective creations. Um, and I look back now, my, you know, I have to make fun of it because it was a lot of like, we wanted to do like collective creations that talked about race and confronted issues. And we do these beautiful sketches that had to do with like, like we'll like wrap ourselves up in blankets and we'd like do creation myths and that. Right, all um, original was, material at this point. Yeah, yeah, it was all original, all from our heads and it was very avant-garde and creative and we do like these crazy uh oh what is the word again but you know like 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 murals and that and the tableaus, oh, tableaus yeah, and yeah. Be like yeah tableaus and to be like uh, all the improv games we create stuff and uh we ended up creating a play at uh uh perry theater exchange but the smaller theater colin jackson colin jackson yeah and we performed it there and we ended up all the trippy avant-garde stuff well not all of it some of it was thrown out so since I did a lot of writing, I wrote a bunch of the sketches, but mm-hmm. I, but we ended up doing a whole bunch of like Disney song parodies because we realized this needs to be more fun and not all like trippy, trying to make you think stuff. Yeah. So we would, we would do a trippy and make you think stuff. Like I did one where I would have a paper plate on my face and I would like draw brown. I would look in the mirror and I didn't, and it was like, no, it was a brown paper plate. I'd look in the mirror and it'd be like, oh, I, I'm brown. And then these girls with like white paper plates would walk in on their faces, like their masks. Yeah. And they'd be like, they like point to me and they would like laugh. And I'd have this brown one and I'd be sad. So I ripped that up and I put up a white one and I like paint, put blue eyes, drew blue eyes on it and like red lips. And they came because I was trying to be white. It was all symbolic. And then right. they'd walk in and they'd still laugh. And then I'd rip it up and I'd look in the mirror and I stood up and and I didn't have any mask on. And they'd walk in and they'd laugh and I'd just walk away. Wow, so deep. Yeah. <laughs> I was back down. I was like, no one's going to understand what any of that is. All the symbolism and metaphor about me trying to be white and I wasn't accepted. So and then you break into like a, a Disney parody. <laughs> it, was so no, this was, it was like all it was just that. And it was set to jazz music. So it was even worse. That's how I got involved in like back in theater. And I started like writing. Uh, I was also involved with uh, around the same time, like all of these dates. I can't even I should have like looked it up when all these dates were. Uh, I actually stage managed for a play uh, by Mike Rialba called Kuya. Um because I was getting back, I was like really in love with theater again. Mm-hmm. And I stage mentioned I had to learn how to call a show. But basically it was like about um, a, like a Filipino couple. And uh, um, th- yeah, it was about a Filipino couple and they were trying to remember the dead brother. Koya is the term for dead brother. Uh, but Mike had to leave for Toronto because he had a gig there. He said that he was done directing um, and then just we just had to keep rehearsing because it's about three weeks before the fringe. Um, I had to step in and help with the directing. Yeah, I wasn't credited for it, but I but I but I helped them with it, and I kind of fell in love with that. And then I learned more about the fringe that way. I right. learned about the technical aspects, and I realized, you know what, the fringe isn't that hard. You you just have to get in. I know how to call a show now. Yeah, I know this is how rehearsals work. This is how, uh, you know, I, I know that like you just have to put up a play and then you put it on because I didn't know posters, how it worked. Put them up. Yeah, just put up posters, whatever. And, you know, you, you just market, you like hand out flyers, you do all that. Create and then a you have to get you know, some money at the end. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I can so, do that. Uh, because I learned about it, I, I wrote the, my first play, Cyber. Cyber. And it's bad. Cyber. <laughs> There's no remount of cyber coming anytime soon. Oh no, it's so dated now because it was about a girl who uh huh, named Sarah. <laughs> 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 I love the name so much. Named Sarah, and she uh she's very shy and she uh you know this is 
she she's in a chat room and she meets a guy and falls for him and she starts to ignore her whole life yeah. and uh she ends up like but she only puts up like her avatar is her roommate who is gorgeous and she feels she's not right and when she she actually goes out and meets the guy and it's completely not what she expected so it was about like putting on this image of being something and then being not. Sounds like uh, it, foreshadowing uh, Tinder for some reason. Yeah, it was basically <laughs> foreshadowing catfishing. And yeah. what, what, what happened was that she ended up with like a huge internet bill that was like thousands of dollars because you had to pay per hour then. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that part is based on real life because I ended up with a $1,500 bill one month is online so often oh my god it was three three dollars an hour and it adds up and so she she has this whole horrible bill and she doesn't know what she's going to do and her life goes to crap and somehow it got a decent review Mm -hmm. and i ended up with i got like a feature uh because something i didn't realize i didn't even think about it I had like an Asian female character and the the guy she's dating in real life was white. And so it was called out like being, having this casual acceptance of interracial relationships. And I'm like, oh my God, it's about her. It's, there's an inter, interracial relationship in it. I didn't even think about it. Really? Never hit my mind, but that's what they perceive that's what the media perceived the play to be about had nothing to do with the play absolutely nothing Mm -hmm. but so hence the casual acceptance but i got like a write-up just on myself because i was so daring to do a play about that yeah it's like it's 2000 i didn't think it was daring by then but apparently it was so i thought this was great i ended up with one sold out show so i was amazed i'm like this is easy fringe is great and you yeah you obviously (laughs) love it because you've uh like i said i tried to do a little research on your your fringe plays and i I think you said that you have 11 fringe plays over 20 years does that sound right yeah probably more i don't even know it's (laughs) so I'm uh, i'm gonna throw out some fringe names that you've done that you've written and uh, if you yes. can give me like uh, some maybe brief uh, insight to it or just your thoughts on the run, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, let's start with uh, Spin. Spin. Spin was fun because it was uh, it was based on Spin the Bottle. And this is just me being super creative. It won Best of Fest, but you had to spin the bottle and it would change the scene. Like it would, oh, cool. it was like 20, 26 different scenes mm-hmm. uh, and it had six different endings. You'd spin the bottle, whoever it would land on, that's the scene they would perform. That's so awesome. I love it. It, it was so daring. And, I, and it killed my actors. It just killed them. It was so <laughs> difficult to do. But that was an amazing year because I, 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 that one won Best of Fest. How about um, Two Browns Don't Make a White? It's the best title I've ever come up with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one's about two Filipinos, about a uh, two Filipinos that grew up like I did, wishing they were white, and then they meet in university, and they clearly have feelings for each other, but they they only date white people. Mm-hmm. It's a two-hander. So yeah. They, oh, it was a four-hander actually. We had other we had other characters play everybody else, mm-hmm. and. Just uh, a lot of that play is actually in, shows up in the book. <laughs> nice. How about Shades of Brown? This is uh, you remounted it, right? This is a- yeah. That's my that's my baby. Uh, it uh, that one was against Spin, and it did not win Best of Fest, but it got five stars. And I sold out after the second show. Sold out every single show. Beautiful. I got the holdover at the gas station, but it's about three characters: uh, the fob who is. Uh, Fresh off the boat, she's a new immigrant. Mm-hmm. The coconut, brown on the outside, white on the inside, and the rice lover, who uh, she she's a white girl who only dates Asian guys. But that's yeah, you've remounted it. It's obviously very yeah. Popular. I did it again in two thousand eight. Uh, that was actually published by Jordan Gordon Schillingford uh, Skoroka Drama uh, in the in the book Breakout, 
which right. is still available in Valley Robinson. But yeah, that one became very popular. It's been 20 years. You got one ready for next year? Um, I'm actually working on a play right now uh, called Precipice. Um, but I can't get into too many details on that. But that, no. I actually, it was read by, um, uh, it, it, we had, a re I was part of the so, so New Festival with uh, Winnipeg Jewish Theater. Mm -hmm. And that was produced in in January uh, this year. Um, and then earlier this year, I also did a play with MTC, uh, RMTC. Um, and that was, Where Are You From? And that was about a girl who was constantly asked, where are you from? And basically the whole idea that only people who are brown are asked that question. And right. white people are never asked that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and that was my first official like uh, 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 professional production that, that I've done. But that was done virtually through RMTC. That's awesome! And, wow, uh, working on Precipice right now. <laughs> You're constantly writing. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, well, I had to take a break for a while because I had kids, and I have done. I would say in the past eighteen months, I've done more writing in this short period of time than I've done in the past ten. 15 years right. just because I stopped for a while mm -hmm. and then got back into it. And you got back to it huge with this book, Lessons in Fusion. I'm almost at the end of it. I read most of it. I, I've, I've been loving your book, by the way. Like I'm not, <laughs> I, I, I know it's a, uh, it's like a, a preteen, you know, audience. I think that's what you're going for here with this novel. Well, when I wrote it, they wanted a young adult. They, Great Plains Publishing were incredible. They wanted a young adult. Uh, they're looking for young adult content. Yeah, and they, they were looking for you. diverse they content. They approached you to write the book. Yeah, they came to me. That's amazing. Which was, which was so cool because the problem is people keep asking me, oh, I want to publish a book. How do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. You wait. <laughs> I tried in grade seven. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like, they came to me. I don't know how it's done in real life. Yeah. So no clue. I also, I have no, I had no idea how to go about getting it published. I looked into it. Like, really, you're supposed to like, you know, come up with a manuscript, you get an agent, the agent marks, markets it out for you. At least that's how I read how it's done. Or right. you can contact the publishing company, you send in a pitch, maybe they're interested, maybe they're not. And for this, I, they came to me. And yeah, they're looking for young adult and they were looking for nonfiction at the time. And I ended up I originally wanted to write about, originally I was going to write about restaurants because I have the food blog and that's what I'm interested in. And when I start, well, I thought, okay, I'm going to write about Filipino restaurants. Why aren't they the next best thing? Mm -hmm. Let's do, talk about Filipino food. That was in February, 2020 when I had that pitch. Cause they approached me and they said, what would you be interested in writing? And I'm like, how about this? And they're like, that sounds great. Write us a couple chapters. Yeah. And I was working on that play Precipice because I was approached by Prairie Theater Exchange because they were doing a new playwrights festival yeah, uh, or new play festival. And I started to work on Precipice. And so I said, so I wasn't in the head, in, in, like my head was in the right place to write about re restaurants. And then the pandemic happened because it was March, yeah. 2020. Mm -hmm. Everything shut down. And they said, Great Plan said, so maybe you'll have more time to write. And I'm like, I can't write about restaurants. I have no idea what to write about now. Right. You knocked it off pretty quick then. Just yeah, I am. Um, wow, that's incredible. I wrote the. I wrote it in two months. Holy shit. I. <laughs> I'm read, reading your book right now, and uh, it's, a, it's a story about uh, a 16 year old, a girl entering a food cooking uh, competition show. Right. Cyber. Yes. Cyber Chef, but I really love your take on the reality show. Uh, like the idea of uh, someone coming up with a recipe, that recipe going to the judges, the judges yeah. make the food. And I think that's, why aren't they doing that? That is a great idea. I wanna see this show. <laughs> I, see too. I think that's so cool. So you're a fan of cooking shows. You love food. You, you, I do love cooking shows. You have her, yeah, you must be watching them. I've seen, I like, personally, I like Hell's Kitchen, um, but that's not really- I watched the first four seasons of Hell's Kitchen and then I just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> but what are your, what are your favorite cooking shows right now? What do you like to watch? Top Chef, I think. Um, 
right now, my favorite cooking show, because I'm watching with the kids, because I'm watching a lot of stuff with the kids, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, we're watching this show called Baking Impossible, where it's bakers paired with engineers, and they have to make, uh, like, they have to do, like, some sort of crazy engineering thing with baking involved, and they're, like, they, they made, like, robots with cakes inside of them. <laughs> That's so cool. The, 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 yesterday we watched one where they made Rube Goldberg's machines oh, and they all had to reveal a cake. It was it's so fun. <laughs> so cool. Uh, but my all-time favorite cooking show was Cutthroat Kitchen because I love Alton Brown, first of all. Yeah, and second of all, I oh, I love Alton Brown. <laughs> my, my husband's actually kind of freaked out with how much I'm obsessed with him. No <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. And uh, But it's the whole idea behind it was that they just give you three crappy ingredients and you have to make something. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. And then like it's something like uh, you, you instead of a, a spoon, you have to use a shoe or something, something crazy. Exactly. It's great. <laughs> It's pretty neat, an obstacle cooking show. Uh, and I, I was going to say, like, uh, as far as your book, I really love the how it's, you know, it's work of fiction. So you don't have, like, instead of the Food Network, you have food and drink, right? Fat. Yes. I was scared about copyright, so I just started to make up everything as I went along. Yeah, but I, like even like the Cyber Chef, the idea, I was like, that's a really good title for a show. I'm like, I was just impressed with it. It's a good title for the show, but at the same time, I wanted a title that just sounded as cheesy as possible. Mm -hmm. And so it's not even the best title, but I wanted it to sound. It's like because when I first said to my to my family, like Cyber Chef, they're like, "That's what? Why is it Cyber Chef? What does that mean?" I'm like, "It's something a producer would come up with." Yeah, because it rolls off the tongue, and it's like virtual. Because uh, it's like it's completely. It's a show that's done by Zoom during the pandemic, and it's all laid out the reasons why. Yeah. And it's also laid out how the network would make an exorbitant amount of money on this show. I love how you include the behind the scenes of not only just the contestants, you got the executive director, uh, you know, his perspective and the, the showrunners and whatnot. Like, it's yeah. really, really intelligent. And I also, I, I love uh, how this is not a book just about uh, the, the reality show. It's much, much more. It's relationships. Uh, between people, family issues. And also I'm learning so much about just food in general because my mom, uh, Irish cooking is, they don't use a lot of spice. They barely use salt and pepper. Right. So like growing up, it was very bland. And I always thought Irish was, um, or what do you, what do you, you, you call uh, Filipino cooking peasant, peasant food. Peasant food, yes. And I always thought that as for Irish, the same type of thing. Absolutely. Just potatoes. It's very similar. I can definitely relate to Sarah in, 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 in some level here, but I just love, you have great passages. Uh, one, one I actually would like to point out is uh, uh, crispy spam sticks on top of each rice hill, cascading down the sides like crimson waterfalls. Like, it's just like, <laughs> I love the way you describe the food with such passion. I've, I've had a lot of people say that they, they'll read uh, they'll read sections of the book and they're just starving afterwards. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, like, do you ever find yourself, you're working on a recipe and then you're like, oh, I need this. Damn, I don't have it. Would you go out and get it? Or would you just <laughs> do it without it? Like how much that happens all are you? the time. That would happen all the time. I would like, I, that actually just happens every day when I cook. So I'd like create a recipe and like, oh crap, I don't have this. So I'll be halfway through. This is where part of my cooking comes in like uh I had to teach myself how to cook and I, I learned from Food Network but I learned like okay well I don't have this so what can I substitute it with right and so I'll just make up food and so that's how I started to like make up my own recipes per se mm -hmm. uh I'm not very good at following recipes I'm actually terrible at it I don't <laughs> like measuring uh this is why I can't bake I'm you'd if you look at the, I have a recipe at the beginning of every chapter. I was just going to say, love and, the recipe at the right. beginning of each chapter. You'll see almost no baking in it because I cannot bake if my life depended on it. <laughs> I would not be able to make those recipes because they're scientific. You have to have very specific ratios to make a type of bread or to make a cake or something. However, 
like savory recipes, like cooking instead of baking, that's so much more flexible because if you're a little off, it's not that terrible. However, yeah. when you're writing a recipe, you ha have to try to make it as accurate as possible so that people can recreate it. Mm -hmm. If I just put, put a dash of this, they're going to be like, well, what's a dash, right? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, it's like it's some water. They're like, well, what does some mean? Like, oh, I have to actually write this down. Crap. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so difficult to do. And so even during the course of making the recipes, sometimes I'd replace something with that I, something like, oh, shoot, I don't have this. What do I have instead? Hey, that actually worked out. Good. I, I created yeah. a new recipe. <laughs> you know, I also like how, like, I think it's one of the chapters you have the, the recipe there. I could... Pardon me, it might be the rice pudding one, but you have like uh, coconut scratched out the ingredient. And I'm like, well, is that a mistake on the publisher's thing or what? And then you, as you read that chapter, you're like, oh, that's why it's scratched out. It didn't yeah. work. It didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. You're getting great feedback on the book, I imagine. I'm getting amazing feedback on the book. I've been very lucky. Like, uh, I saw one review that said that it was it was very sc a scattered story from too many perspectives. But in almost all of my plays, I write from different perspectives and different timelines. Yeah. And that's only because that's that's how I think, as we've seen from this conversation. I like to jump around when I talk. Right. <laughs> so my stories jump around because honestly, I think it's a better way of telling a story. Like I never, I thought that was only the one who, I was the only one who thought that way. And then I saw Pulp Fiction as a teenager and I realized, oh my God, this is a storytelling style. And I fell in love with that style of writing. And so all my plays reflect that. Not yeah. all, sorry. Um, a lot of my plays re reflect that. And when I wrote this book, it actually was easier to write that way because wait a minute, I can actually put when this happened and where it happened. I don't have to make the audience figure it out. Yeah. Because uh, that was a criticism for my plays, that it, they, it'd be too haphazard. I'm like, well, too bad. You got to figure it out. Well, I like I like the jumping back and forth because uh, you're kind of along for the ride as far as Sarah, you know, kind of wondering why her mom doesn't like Filipino cooking. Like, why is that? I always see food as a gateway to culture. Yeah. This is how we learned about any other culture. Like uh, when you go to Folklorama, you you go there not to watch the dancing and to look at the cultural display. You go there to eat the food. And that's how we learn about culture, through food. And so when, she, when Sarah needs to learn more about her culture, uh, because the producers, they try to have her fill this box of like, you're the Asian contestant, you're the Filipino contestant this season. And so we want you to cook Filipino food. Yeah. They don't emphatically say that, but she gets the hint and she realizes, oh crap, I need to learn. I need to learn how to cook Filipino food. Yeah. It never occurred to her. Oh, like, oh. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know anything about being Filipino. Yeah. Huh. And it was never a thing to her. Right. And now she realizes, but why don't I learn, know anything about Filipino mm -hmm. culture? And yeah. That's that's the whole story, and I I love how it just unveils itself. I'm very well, happy with. I it. can't wait to get the unveiling of does she win? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be finding out later today. Primos, I'm gonna ask you 100, 100 questions, which you which we need to uh, get out in five minutes. If if you're able to answer these questions, and you just can't yell out or say any old answer, you just can't say the same word. It has to somewhat be an honest answer to the question okay okay if they're easy okay. questions for the most part what's your favorite this uh this or that fill in the blank that type of thing okay all right and it's all in the honor system you know unless but maybe you say an answer that uh, contradicts what you said earlier in the interview that would be a no-no you can pass as well i do not suggest it tonight's money shot for primrose medeag nasen is <laughs> $12.04. Good luck, Primrose. Hopefully this money shot won't be a recipe for disaster. <laughs> I kill myself. Hail Satan! Name a Winnipeg movie theater. Uh, Silver City. Name a Winnipeg bar. 
Uh, Goodwill. Name a Winnipeg restaurant. Little Goat Eats. Name a Winnipeg park. Acidavoyne. Name a Winnipeg band. Duotang. Pick a number between one and ten. Nice answer. Two. Broccoli or cauliflower? Cauliflower. You're into the foods. Banana or apple? Apple. Rice or potato? Whoa. Rice. <laughs> Favorite salad dressing? Uh, vinaigrette. Favorite soup? Uh, pho. Uh, girls just want to have... Fun. Uh, boys don't? Cry. Name a Grammy winner. Uh, John Legend. Name an Oscar winner. John Legend. What would you buy at yeah. Dollarama? Pardon? What would you buy at Dollarama? Spoons. Uh, how do you, how do I like my coffee? Me, how do I like my coffee? Oh. Double, double. Favorite subject in school? Science. Name a movie you purchased. Princess Bride. Name a member of the band Kiss. Star. Name a Star Wars <laughs> droid. Close. Star Wars droid. Star Wars droid R2D2. Nice. Uh, what do you bring to the beach? A towel. Name a John. Legend. Name a Betty. White. Name a Chris. Uh, Pratt. Uh, name a science fiction movie. Uh, Star Trek. Name an 80s comedy movie. Ghostbusters. Name a baseball movie. League of Their Own. Name something blue. Sky. Name something red. Blood. Name something green. Grass. Name something yellow. Sun. Name something brown. <clears throat> Me. Name something purple. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Princess clothes. Name something pink. Pink. Where would you find a flag? A school. How much money is in your pocket? I'm a girl. I don't have pockets. Name a DJ. <laughs> Fair enough. Dead mouse. Last place you ordered a pizza from? Shorties. What topping was on that pizza? Um, mozzarella balls. Can you cook? Really? <laughs> Heck yeah. Can you dance? Uh, so -so. Can you juggle? No. Can you whistle? Yes. What would you name a horse? Princess. Pie or cake? Cake. Plane or train? Plane. <laughs> Bacon or sausages? Bacon. Uh, favorite fruit? Uh, calamansi. Sorry? Calamansi. Favorite vegetable? I don't know. Rainbow carrots. Name a Sarah or a Sarah. The one in my book. Nice. Name a Beastie Boy. Who's going to be tough? Oh, I don't know their names. Okay, what goes in the freezer? Um, bacon. Name something round. A ball. Uh, do you have a driver's license? Yes. Do you have a fishing license? No. Do you have a hunting license? No. Name a painting. The Scream. Name a book. My book, Lessons of Fusion. <laughs> nice, one minute left. Name a record album. Um, kick. Uh, name a film. Princess Bride. Name a breakfast cereal. Kicks. What do you put in an omelet? Eggs. Name a Marvel superhero. Captain America. Name a DC superhero. Superman. What do you put on toast? Butter. Name a sport with a racket. Tennis. How often do you shave? That's personal. Maybe. Not often, like you, a month. Can you play guitar? No. Can you play piano? Yes. Can you play drums? No. Can you sing? Yes. Name a black and white movie. 15 seconds. Uh, 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 uh black and white movie. <laughs> Artist. Name a 3D movie. Shang-Chi. Name a Manitoba city. Winnipeg. Name a Manitoba <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's five. That's five minutes.
<laughs> I'm sorry. No. That's all good. Unfortunately, I don't really have a, a decent ending to any of this. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but just wanted to say thanks. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Take care, Primrose. Sounds good. Bye.